She Must Get Out of Bed is written and performed by Amanda Keats. There's no point getting out of bed. There's just no point. Things aren't great when she sleeps, but they're better than when she's awake. She must get up. She must. There is a day to be had. She just doesn't particularly feel like having it. She takes a deep breath, tries to think happy thoughts, and pushes against the immense weight of the duvet. She pushes until the cold air hits her body, and then she slumps back down under the protection of the covers. She focuses on her breaths. In, out, in, out. Counts to ten while she breathes. Then she tries again. It takes all her energy, all her strength, but she manages to throw the duvet off. She shivers but makes it out of bed and over to the chest of drawers where she picks out some underwear and thinks about what to wear. Her hands wander straight past the more figure-hugging clothes that remain in her drawer, untouched, without her brain even registering their existence. She goes straight for the plain and presentable, a long-sleeve top that will work just fine with her pinstripe trousers. When she is dressed, she goes to the bathroom, relieves her bladder, then washes her hands and face. Her own reflection in the bathroom mirror surprises her. If only she could remove the mirror, she thinks. She heads back to her room and starts rummaging through her makeup, foundation, blusher, mascara, and she's good to go. Then she remembers food. It's not that she doesn't want to eat. It's not a conscious effort to not eat, so much as just plain forgetting that it should be part of her routine. She really should start that list she was told about to make sure she stops forgetting the basics. She slices a bagel, toasts it, then waits. These are the moments which terrify her most. When she has nothing to do, so must actually think the thoughts which plague her continuously. This will never get any better. This will destroy you. There is no light at the end of this very dark tunnel. She tries desperately to think about something positive, anything. The only thing that comes to mind is, at least you still have a job. She's practical enough, at least, to realise that she needs the income and the social interaction, no matter how forced or uncomfortable that interaction might be. If she didn't have a reason to get up in the morning, then she wouldn't get up at all. She knows this. The bagel pops up. Time to go. The morning commute is surprisingly quiet, so close to Christmas, but she doesn't quite manage to get a seat. She puts her music up loudly to drown out the noise of people around her, talking, sneezing, clearing their throats. Annoyingly, it doesn't stop them touching her, getting so close that her senses are overcome with smells of body odour, perfume and very strong aftershave. If she can remember to wash, why can't they? Is that weed? At each stop, more and more people pile into the carriage, pushing her into a smaller and smaller space. She resists the urge to back herself into a corner, sit down and wrap her arms around her body, which is, quite frankly, all she wants to do. That'll get off the tube, of course, but then she'd only have to get back on eventually, and by then she'd no doubt be running very late. So she does nothing. She stands there, staring at an advert about test tube babies, escaping into the world of that particular tube ad. She pictures the photography studio, the photographer doing all they can to make the baby smile. It would probably be a challenge, but it occurs to her that it would be far easier than making her smile. When she finally arrives at her stop, she is forced to push past numerous people who don't move but seem angry when she passes. She wonders if they're angry at her and tenses at the thought. Was she standing in the wrong place? Did she accidentally bump into somebody? She she doesn't think so, but you never can tell on the tube. Their rage seeps through her skin and she's shaking when her feet finally touch the platform floor. (laughs) 
When she gets to the office, she checks her watch and realises that she is five minutes early, so goes straight to the toilets to calm her nerves. Hiding out in the cubicle is not a new thing, but she does seem to do it a lot more these days. She takes it as a good sign that she is at least aware of this, so can monitor it before it gets out of control. A couple of women enter the toilets, laughing loudly about something, and it snaps her into work mode. Right, time to get out of these toilets, she tells herself. She doesn't quite make it to her desk before Marge, the woman who never shuts up, blocks her path and starts telling her about something. She's talking about someone in particular. A child, perhaps? Someone's been annoying her anyway from the way the woman is talking. She should care. Look like you care, she tells herself. Nod, smile. She worries for a moment that perhaps Marge will notice, but is then comforted by the realisation that Marge notices very little. The woman is so wrapped up in herself that she wouldn't notice a thing. Not even if she started screaming, crying, throwing things. Would Marge notice anything was amiss? It shouldn't be a good thing. She knows this, but it seems to calm her anyway. It's so very exhausting pretending to be okay. With Marge, at least, she can just stand there silently. After a few moments, Marge walks off, leaving her alone in the corridor. She heads over to her desk and turns on her computer. When the emails load, she sees there is one reminding her about the Christmas lunch. She forgets to breathe. All those people looking, noticing, expecting... She's shattered just thinking about how much energy she'll need for this. Excited about lunch? Susie asks from the desk opposite her own. She nods, faking as much enthusiasm as she can muster. Yeah, she says, it'll be fun. She gets her work done, which pleases her as much as she can really be pleased. There are two more trips to the toilet cubicle before lunch, though, as she gets more and more nervous at the thought of it. Fortunately, it is not so bad. People talk to her about her plans for the holidays. She tells them she's going home to see her family. They don't know, so they believe her. It's what people do at Christmas, anyway. She eats, she has a glass of wine, she feels herself getting sleepy, and when somebody asks, she tells them, oh, it was a late one. Not true, of course, but hey, it's what people do at Christmas. The rest of her team are so tipsy after lunch that they don't get much work done. It requires a lot more energy on her part, as she needs to keep up being part of the conversations. By the time she leaves the office, she is physically and emotionally drained. When she boards her tube home, she manages to get the last available seat, turns up her music and closes her eyes. The facade drops the moment she walks through her front door. No need to put on a smile now. Nobody can see. Her mobile beeps that she has a text message and she takes it out of her pocket to see who it's from. Her chest heaves. Tash is coming over. It's not quite time to let the facade go after all, she realises, as she reads the message. On my way, there in ten, get the kettle on. Tash is her oldest and dearest friend, and has stuck around even when others have wandered off. Tash knows what's been going on, but she doesn't know everything. She walks into the kitchen and fills the kettle, clicking it on as instructed, and fills the weight with positive thoughts of her day. Number one, I only had three trips to the toilet cubicle, each no more than ten minutes. Number two, made it through the Christmas lunch without meltdown. Number three, was able to get the work done for tomorrow's meeting without zoning out. The kettle clicks off, and she's pleased that the negative thoughts have not taken hold. She just needs to get through Tash's visit and then she can collapse into bed. And do it all again tomorrow. She retrieves the teapot from the top shelf, adds two tea bags and pours the water in, watching as she stirs the liquid around and around. The doorbell rings. She takes a deep breath, inhales through her nose and exhales through her mouth. Then she puts her smile on and goes to answer the door. Hey, good looking, Tash cries delightedly, enveloping her in an embrace that makes her stand immobile until it's over. Tash walks in. Takes off her coat and hangs it up on the peg. Then she walks straight into the kitchen and picks up the two mugs, nodding at her to grab the teapot. They walk through to the lounge and sit down. So, Tash asks, 
How was your Christmas do? Okay, she says. You sure? She nods and tries to make her smile more convincing. Tash examines her, scrunches up at her nose as if that will somehow help her delve deep into her friend's mind. Suddenly it all becomes too difficult. The wall crumbles and she finds herself unable to force the smile or anything resembling a good mood. Tash looks relieved. When's your next appointment? She asks. Next week. Monday. You want to talk about it? Tash says. Tash always asks. The words seem to make their way up her throat, desperate to get out, but she gulps them down. She shakes her head. No. Sorry, she says. No need to apologise, Tash assures her. You'll tell me one day. That's why I keep asking. You can't get rid of me that easily, Dee. Tash puts her arm around her friend, gives her a gentle squeeze, then sits back with her mug of tea. Dee realises then that she is already improving. The last time Tash asked, she thought she was going to implode with the pressure of the question. This time, the words got stuck in her throat. But they were there, at least. Number four. Came close to talking about it. Dee allows herself to smile that evening, just a little, as she climbs back into bed. It's only a tiny smile, really, but to her it radiates something momentous, something positive. She has noticed a change, no matter how minor, in the right direction, and she can't help but smile about that. Dee smiles because she's forgotten how it feels to do so, because she knows Tash is right, and she is so relieved she still has a friend there to support her. Mostly she smiles because she sees the tiniest crack of light finally breaking through the darkness, and realises that the old her is finally on her way back. Short Storytime is a collection of short stories, films and plays read out for your listening pleasure. These stories are not genre-specific and range from mental health, science fiction, YA romance, adventures for young children and everything in between. To reach me, find me at Film vs Book, that's Film vs Book, on Twitter and Instagram. And stay tuned for a bit of context as to what the inspiration behind this particular story was. She must get out of bed, takes a look at a woman struggling to get through the most ordinary of days because her depression makes everything a challenge. The themes explored are mental health, depression and friendship. The story was inspired by the daily struggles I had many years ago while I was dealing with my own depression. I knew, even then, that mine was not as severe as others, but I did really struggle with social interaction and just mustering the energy and enthusiasm for basic tasks was a constant challenge that left me exhausted most of the time. Thankfully, with antidepressants and therapy and friends who knew to gently push me, not make big demands, I got better. And if you're struggling, there are people out there you can call, lots of helplines, lots of places to start. I started with a visit to my GP. So here is to your great mental health.